You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Again, and the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We are in a battle. And I have, I have been saying that for quite a while. Uh, and in this last year and a half, uh, 19 months, I believe, is about where we are at since COVID started. There has, this, is not a, this is not a political issue. This is not a health issue. This is a spiritual battle. And I'm concerned that too many Christians are complacent. I'm concerned that we don't recognize the spiritual issues that are going on around us. And we are content to just get back to normal. But what should normal be for the believer? Should it just be getting up and going to work and getting up and going to church and teaching a class, being in a nursery, singing in a choir, and, but just going through the motions? You know, when we look at the battles that have been fought over the decades for the faith, we have, we have some people to look at that have been champions. And their faith should challenge us. It should challenge us. You know, you don't see giant, you don't see giant killers when there's no giant there. You don't find heroes when there is no, when there is no uh, major event. You see, the heroes come out when they step up to the, the need at the moment. You know, for Christians, for the church, it's time for us to step up. It's time for us to step up. We've got to step up our faith, our trust in the Lord. We have, we have to step up our witness for the Savior. And just doing something isn't enough. Busyness is not enough. There's a battle that we've got to fight. And we cannot fight a spiritual warfare in the arm of the flesh. And here as we look at some of the individuals in the Word of God, David, I would say, is probably one of the men you can look back into the Old Testament as a hero of the faith. Here he was, though he had his failures. Uh, he had a lot of victories, and God used him in an amazing way. Uh, David was called the man after God's own heart. That was after his sin, not before. Uh, after his sin, after his failures, God still said Adam, or that uh, David was a man after my own heart. And David was a man who was ready to go to battle. 
He was ready to go to war. And he did over and over again. Ephesians 6, 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And David found himself fighting some of those spiritual battles. He had earthly battles to fight, but he had spiritual battles to fight as well uh, as the enemies of God's people, and he would stand up for the Lord. That was the case uh, with Goliath. But David often found himself in the middle of trials in life. His trials and enemies were unlike the trials that we face for the most part. When David had an enemy, they were carrying a javelin in their hand. On a couple occasions, David found himself fleeing from Saul as javelins were hurled at him. We see how later, his, uh, after he became king of all Israel and Judah, uh, we find how uh, his own son Absalom had uh, made a coup attempt and had come into the kingdom, had, had brought in his own uh, uh, allegiances, and, and now he is coming to fight against his own dad to become king. And the only way for him to become king is to kill King David. David found himself with some very real battles. And as I stated this morning, we are in a battle for our soul. But we are not just in a battle for our soul. We're in a battle for our life. What we are going to do with this life that God has given to us. And tonight I want to speak to you on the subject, it's not time to run. It's not time to run. And let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would just bless now this time. Use uh, these thoughts and your words to uh, encourage and strengthen and challenge your people. I pray that you would help us as we uh, look at the Word of God. And uh, Lord, recognize the uh, signs of the time. Lord, we are in these last days. And I pray that you would help all of us uh, to, uh, to recognize we have we have one life to serve you with, and I pray that you would help us just to be faithful to you, help us to have an impact in this area that you have called us to, and where you have placed us, and help us, Lord, to make a difference uh, here in this community, uh, in this county, in this state, and Lord, even to reach unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so I pray that you'd bless, for Christ's sake, amen. There was a man by the name of C.T. Studd. Uh, he was a cricketer. He was a pre professional cricketer, and he was uh, born of wealth. His dad, mom, uh, very wealthy. And C.T. Studd, as he was a professional cricketer, uh, he would uh, he was very well known, and and uh, uh, of course coming from wealth and power. His dad ended up getting saved under D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey's ministry, and and so after his dad's salvation. And he started having preachers over to his house. And one day when a preacher came to the house as a guest, uh, he started pressing C.T. on his salvation. And C.T. said that he believed that Jesus died, uh, but he didn't believe anything else. And the, the preacher just uh, continued to press him. And he got to a place where he put his faith in Christ and got saved. 
And after a series of events, and uh, the, the Lord called him into the ministry, and, and he went into evangelism. Later, uh, he, among seven others, he was a, a group of seven, uh, that uh, went alongside and uh, went, to, uh, uh, went on with the China Inland Mission and started working uh, with Hudson Taylor's uh, uh, the uh, China Inland Mission. Uh, but he is known for a poem that he wrote. And this poem is one that is so very powerful. And as we read this poem tonight, as I read this to you, uh, there is a phrase that you will be very familiar with. You won't be familiar with the whole poem, but the little statement is one that has become a little, little bit of an epitaph. It has become a contrite statement that believers will use. Uh, but uh, as we listen to the whole poem, I pray that it will challenge all of us. It's called Only One Life. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true that whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I hear thy call, I'll know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. You know, we think about the words of that poem, and uh, the reality was uh, C.T. Studd had wealth, and he had fame, and he had uh, possessions, and uh, he, was, he was a driven individual. Uh, when he went into the ministry, uh, his father passed away, and the inheritance that he t- had taken and had been given, uh, he gave all of it away, because he did not want to live by his father here. He wanted to live 
by his father there. He wanted to allow God to prove himself true in his daily life. And, you know, when we look at uh, people that have made a difference, we find people that are driven. We find people who recognize that the life that we have been given, we have not been given it just to, uh, to exist. We have not been given our life uh, to uh, just enjoy the pleasures, though we can enjoy pleasures uh, down here on this earth. But there has to be something that burns deep, uh, deep inside every believer, and that is a desire to fulfill God's plan for our life. And you know, that plan uh, that God has for our life, for some it may be full-time Christian service, for some uh, it may be uh, something completely different, but for all of us, it is for us to be a witness, to bring glory and honor to our God. That is, that's uh, God's plan. That is something that uh, every one of us could rest assured of in our lives. And, and when I think about the battles that we face, the battles that are slowing us down, the battles that are creating apathy in the life of the believer, a lot of the, the problems are not because people do not want to serve the Savior. It is because there are so many distractions. There are so many distractions that capture our mind. You know, just stop and think about how many distractions we have on a daily basis right there. I mean, you sit down to read your Bible, and all of a sudden, notification, notification, notification. Uh, you, you go to open your, the Scripture up, and you start to study, and, and, and I've got the notifications on my phone, or and I got it on my uh, iPad, and they pop up on my computer, and uh, they show up on my watch. And uh, there are so many things that are uh, grabbing our attention, and sometimes we'll, we'll get into our Bible, we'll get up and get ready to walk with the Lord, and and the next thing we know, there's one distraction, and then another distraction, and pretty soon, oh yeah, I need to take care of this. And we get completely sidetracked, and then uh, we look back at the day and say, what happened? I mean, I, I got up to spend time with the Lord. I got up to read my Bible. I was intending to pray. I was wanting to serve the Lord today. And we can go through the whole day and look back at it and say, what did I do for my Savior today? Only one life. Uh, so soon will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. And David here, as he was in this battle, and, and it, we find him here in Psalm 11, facing a battle. Facing decisions of what he's going to do. David was not apathetic. David was a doer. You know, he, he walked onto the, uh, the battlefield, he went into the camp, and he heard Goliath spouting off his, uh, his insults against the armies of God, the armies of Israel. And what happened immediately, uh, he was at the point where, is there not a cause? I have to do something about what I'm witnessing. I cannot just stay silent. David was a doer. But here, when he finds himself in a battle, I want to see his action and what his process was. Look again with me at verse number 1, Psalm 11 and verse 1. He said, in the Lord put I my trust. In the Lord put I 
my trust. And you know what we need to do? We are in a spiritual warfare. We are in battles. And some of those battles we are facing a little bit differently. But let me tell you something. Just like David, we have to start with the foundation of our belief system. And here he was saying, in the Lord put I my trust. So number one, trust the Lord. What do we do as we are facing this battle? We've got to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. It can't just be a little phrase that we say. You know, it's easy to tell somebody else who's going through a battle, well, you know, you just got to trust the Lord. And it sounds so trite. It sounds like it's just an empty statement. And it could be if that's all we're doing is trying to say something. But when we're in the battle, a quaint little saying will not help. Just a little Christian verbiage and throwing out a couple little, a couple different uh, phrases, they're not going to fix our, our problems. You know what you and I, we have to have if we are going to fight this battle and, and succeed? We have to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. There has to be a genuine trust. In the Lord put I my trust. David here is facing a battle, and we are going to find that he is being challenged. He is being pushed. He has been encouraged to run. But here, he does not run. Uh, what does he do? He stands his ground. He stands his ground saying, in the Lord I put my trust. In the Lord put I my trust. Uh, so what are we seeing? We are seeing his faith. We are seeing his confidence. We are seeing his hope. His trust was in the Lord. It wasn't in himself. It wasn't in his sword. It wasn't in his armies. It wasn't in his mighty men. It was in the Lord. And you and I, we can't just look around and try to glean our strength uh, horizontally. We've got to look vertically and we've got to look up and put our trust in the Lord. David's trust was in the Lord, in the person of God, in the sovereignty of God, in the perfect plan of God. David was trusting God. Let me, let me just ask you tonight, are we trusting the Lord? Are we trusting the Lord? You say, well, I just don't see how we're going to win this battle. Are we, we just have to trust the Lord. Just trust the Lord. We don't have to figure out how everything's going to come together. We don't have to figure out uh, that, that plan on how everything's just going to fall right into place. That's not our job. Our job is to trust the Lord. And you and I, as we are trusting Him and keeping our faith in Him, we find that uh, He is the one that has proved Himself true. Years ago, there was a, a famous preacher. His name was Monroe Parker. Monroe Parker was traveling through South Alabama on a, a hot day, and he stopped off at a, uh, at a uh, little stand, a fruit stand. And as he stopped at the fruit stand, uh, there were some watermelons that were there. And, and, and he goes over and he picks one up, and, and he uh, looks at the watermelon, and, and he says, how much uh, for the watermelon to the, the proprietor? And the proprietor tells him, well, it's a dollar and ten cents. And he says, okay. He says, I've only got a dollar. He said, okay, well, I'll trust you. And so Monroe Parker grabbed the, the watermelon. And he walked out the door. Or he walked back towards his car. And the guy said, hey, where, where are you going? He said, I'm going to eat my watermelon. And the man's like, well, you didn't give me the dollar. He said, 
then you really don't trust me. You know, he was willing to, to take a gamble on the 10 cents, but he was not willing to trust for the dollar 10. I wonder how often do we just say, Lord, I trust you, but I'm only going to trust you a little bit. You know, when it comes to integrity, God has integrity. He is trustworthy. Uh, I will fail you. You will fail someone. Uh, but the reality is God will never fail. Uh, he is a God who is trustworthy. And, and, and we've got to trust him. The foundation of, of the relationship we have with God is all based on trust. And David said, my foundation is sure. In the Lord put I my trust. You know, where are we putting our trust? Are we putting our trust in our wallet? Are we, we putting our trust in, well, you know, I've got enough money to pay my bills this month. Uh, are we putting it in our wallet? Um, man, I'm looking in here, I got $4, so uh, I can't put too much trust right there. You know, uh, are we putting it in, in, our, in our checking account? Are we putting it in the accumulation of our 401ks or our retirements or uh, how much money we have? Are we putting our trust in how, how stable we think our job is? Are we putting our trust in uh, the, the people that are around us? Uh, we have to be careful. Our trust doesn't belong anywhere else but in the Lord. We are, we are one moment from being in chaos. Flip back 20 years ago. In one moment, our entire nation was in chaos. You think about, we, we, were, we had camp, school camp going on. And we had a, a guest preacher that was from Indiana. And uh, Brother Bush... Uh, and it's Jeff, uh, the young MP uh, that's been here. Uh, his dad was preaching our camp. And so uh, anyway, we were up, up there in Washington, found out about 9-11. We had some military guys that were uh, with us, Brother Chancellor. Uh, as soon as that happened, uh, he was gone. He had to leave, get back to base, and uh, everything changed. Uh, we had a couple preachers that were there, and they had to get back uh, to the Midwest. And every flight was grounded. And they ended up renting a car and driving all the way back. And it was a huge ordeal even to get a car. They couldn't get a car right away. They had to wait multiple days to try to even work that out uh, because of all the confusion. Our, our country was in chaos. Just in a moment. Our life can be in chaos. In just a moment, a car wreck, a business that fails, an economy that goes sideways, relationship that goes sideways. You know, where are we putting our trust? And I'm not saying we can't have faith in people. What I am saying, though, is when the battle comes, 
We better make sure that we are placing our faith in God. In the Lord put I my trust. David was stating his trust was in the Lord. Uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, we've got to trust the Lord. Number two, don't run. Don't run. Say, Pastor, what do, you, what do you mean? Look at verse number one again. Psalm 11, verse one. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright, upright in heart. David here is now talking to somebody who is recognizing the enemy, and they are looking at David, and they're telling David, you need to run. You need to leave. And David was saying, I'm not going anywhere. David was looking at them and saying, listen, I'm trusting the Lord. And why are you telling me to run? Why are you telling me to leave? You see, if David would have run, he would have invalidated his statement of trusting the Lord. Right? Don't get quiet on me. He said, in the Lord, I put my trust. In the Lord, put I my trust. So he's saying, listen, I'm trusting the Lord. And then they're coming to him and saying, listen, you better run because they're coming after you. The bow has been bent. The arrow has been notched. And they are aiming at you. The, the, the archer is ready to let go that arrow. And it's pointed at you. And David was saying, I'm not going anywhere. Don't run. He was looking back at the person and he was, he was wondering why that they would say uh, that he should run. Now, there are times that we are going to find ourselves running uh, from a battle. Uh, and, uh, you know, somebody, somebody uh, uh, it, I'll use a different illustration. I'll just skip that illustration. But, uh, you know, with, with different scenarios in life, there may be time to run. There may be a time to retreat. But that time is based on God's timing. When I look at David, I see sometimes that he did retreat. But the reasons for retreat were reasons not just out of fear. It was not just out of circumstance. When did David run? David ran when, when Saul was trying to kill him. And it wasn't because he was afraid of Saul. If he wasn't afraid of Goliath, he was not afraid of Saul. It wasn't because Saul was stronger. It wasn't because Saul could have done more. David was a fighter. He did not remove himself from Saul because of the ability of Saul. He removed himself from fighting Saul because he said, I will not lift up my hand against God's anointed. 
It was a biblical reason. It was a reason saying, listen, this isn't my battle. This isn't the battle here. God's going to have to take care of the king. He is the one that set him up. He is the one that has put him in place. He is the one that has anointed him. I'm not fighting against him. I'm just going to put my trust in the Lord. And David was willing at those moments to avoid that conflict. But it wasn't because he was fearful of the, the fight. It was because he honored God. And he knew that it was God that had the right to put someone up and take somebody down. And so uh, we see that he did not fight when, when it came to Saul. He did not fight when it came to Absalom. I can't even imagine the heartbreak of having your own son want you dead, to want you dead. To want a position, to want power, to want fame, whatever it was that was driving Absalom. Absalom was a rebellious man. And Absalom's desire for the kingdom was going to come at the cost of the life of his dad. And David said, I'm not fighting my boy. I'm not going to fight in take the life of my own son. He said, it's not worth it. He can have the kingdom. You know, there are things that aren't worth fighting for. But there are some things that are worth fighting for. And in those instances, we find David being willing to run. Not out of fear but because of the principle of what the battle was about. And for you and I, we need wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. We need the wisdom of God to know what step to take. But too often, things get hard and people run. People, the response is fight or flight. And those two responses are, are normal responses. As I work with the sheriff's department and have been called in on some debriefings after shootings, one of the processes you walk everybody through is the fight, the flight, and help them work through the emotions. And that's the reality with all of us. Anytime there's a battle, anytime there's a tragedy, anytime there's an uncertainty, there is a, there's a natural response for us to want to go. I'm so glad that people have been faithful right here at Bible Baptist Church. But just stop and think. The pressures, the problems, the tragedies that caused others to flee, had they stayed, where would we be? The reality is, all of us, when problems come to us, we can run. And it's a natural response. But going back to David's premise, his foundation. In the Lord put I my trust. 
I'm trusting him. And then he was looking at the, uh, the uh, people who were coming to him. And he, he was saying, uh, why? Uh, he said, uh, uh, how say ye to my soul, uh, flee as a bird to your mountain? Uh, why are you trying to get me to run? David was saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not running. I'm not fleeing uh, because I'm trusting in the Lord. And the reality that there is fear in life. And uh, it is a it is a tempering uh, emotion, but it's not to be a controlling emotion. Fear is to be a tempering emotion, not a controlling emotion. And when we are responding out of fear, that is not the Lord's leading. It's not the Lord's leading when we move out of fear. When we are responding out of fear, I think about uh, David uh, not leaving the kingdom or leaving the kingdom uh, with Saul and Absalom, uh, but the other battles that he faced, uh, he was he was willing uh, to just trust the Lord. Psalm fifty six eleven. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man shall do unto me. Psalm eight one eighteen six. The Lord is at, on my side. I will not fear. What can man do? Unto me. So number one, we've got to trust uh, the Lord. Number two, don't run. Number three, don't discourage. Don't discourage. You know, there was somebody that was telling David to run. When it comes to coming alongside people and their burdens and their trials... We need to help strengthen them. We don't need to discourage them. We need to help build their strength, their trust. Don't be a discourager. Don't discourage. Be an encourage, uh, encourager. Don't fan the flames of fear and doubt in somebody's life. Uh, he said in Psalm eleven three, if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? What foundation is he talking about? Verse number one, he's talking about that foundation of trust in the Lord. And if that foundation is destroyed, we have no hope. If there is no trust, if we are not trusting God, we have no hope. It's all based on faith. The foundation of faith is trust. If we can't trust the Lord, who can we trust? If we can't have faith in our, uh, uh, in our loving he Heavenly Father, to whom can we turn? If we are not careful, we can focus on all of the negatives, and there are a lot of them, uh, but we need to be ones that are coming alongside to encourage and to edify and to equip. Hebrews 10, 24, the Bible says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto to love and to good works. Uh, we are to be encouraging people. We need to be looking for ways to help people. There are, there are many that are in the battle. And you know, we've got to encourage each other. Look for ways to encourage. Don't discourage. Don't get into this, my problem's bigger than your problem. Somebody has a problem, we don't have to outdo it. We need to help them with their problem. We've got to encourage them. How am I going to encourage somebody if, 
If all I'm doing is saying, you know what, man, I've got all these problems too. Where's God? How is that encouraging anybody? And here we had somebody, David was in a battle, uh, and, and this was probably a real bow. It probably was not just uh, a, fig, or a, a uh, figure of speech. It probably was that there were bows being drawn against David. Uh, and, and here, as he is finding himself in that spot, uh, there, was, there, was some, uh, there was somebody that came along, and instead of encouraging him to put his trust in the Lord, they were saying, hey, you, you better get out of here it's rough you better run and that that was not what he needed at that time i think about a man by the name of shimei in second samuel we read about shimei as david was leaving uh, jerusalem as absalom had come after him shimei one of his servants uh, david's servants comes along and he grabs up dirt clods and he's throwing rocks and dirt clods at the king as he's leaving Absalom has come into the kingdom, and now all of a sudden, uh, Shimei, he's done this number and said, okay, now my allegiance is with Absalom. I'm on the winning side. And so he's throwing dirt clods and rocks, and and the Bible tells us that he's throwing dust uh, on David as David is leaving. You know, nobody needs anybody to discourage them in a time of trial. Sometimes our trials are self-inflicted. Could David have done something different with Absalom? I'm sure he could have done something different. You know the last thing somebody needs when they're in the middle of a battle? Man, you brought it all on yourself. Well, you shouldn't have done that, that, and that. That's why you're here. Don't be a discourager. Encourage. Come alongside. Uh, Help them get back up. And that's where David was at. He was needing somebody to come along. I think about Job as he was going through all of the uh, the trials uh, that he went through. In chapter number 16, after his three friends have just dumped on him over and over and over again, David looked looked at him and he said that, uh, he said, miserable Miserable comforters are ye. Miserable comforters are ye. That ought not be us. You see, we're, we're in a battle, and it's not time to run. We've got to put our trust in the Lord. Uh, we have got to, uh, to, not to run, we've got to uh, don't discourage other people. And lastly, realize the Lord is righteous. Realize the Lord is righteous. Look down with me at verse number 4. Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and in horrible tempest this shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. And David was saying, the Lord is righteous. The Lord's righteous. 
That word righteous means just. The Lord is just. The Lord is innocent. The Lord is right and upright. Those are the the terms that is used for the word righteousness. And here, uh, David was saying, the Lord is righteous. He was saying, Lord, you're just in this battle that I'm facing. You allowing me to fight this battle, you're still right. Well, I don't like this battle. There have been many times when I thought, this could not be God's will for this and this to happen. How could this be God's will? This has just got to be this. This has just got to be Satan. But the reality is, there's nothing that comes into the life of the believer without the, the sanctioning hand of God. Everything that took place in Job's life, God said, "Go ahead." God was the one that put the limits on Satan. First it was you could take his house and his possessions, his family, but you couldn't take his health. Later it was you could take his health, but don't take his life. What do we find? We find that God is the one that sets the boundaries. And I don't always like where those boundaries end up. But the Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous, no matter what the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter the obstacle, no matter the seeming loss of control or amount of pain uh, that we may face. The Lord is right. The Lord is righteous. Uh, The righteous are, uh, you and I, the righteous are only right when we are right with Him. We We are only righteous when we embrace His righteousness. Because we don't have any righteousness of our own. There is none righteous. But you and I, we have been given the imputed righteousness of Christ. We are viewed by God, uh, His righteousness. He looks at us uh, as though we have the righteousness of Christ as His child. Uh, But we are only right when we are in agreement uh, with the righteousness of God. We have to embrace His righteousness. We have to accept His righteous acts. Take your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. I mentioned Joseph this morning, and we'll look again here. We find a man who had experienced an unbelievable amount of injustices. And then there were a lot of blessings that came his way. And you know what? God never leaves us without hope, and God blesses us when we're faithful to him. We just got to hang on. And we might not see it now, but we will see it. We might not understand how it's all going to work together for good. It may not even work together for good in our lifetime. But when we trust the Lord, and the Lord put I my trust 
Joseph was such a man. Genesis chapter 50, look at verse 15. The Bible says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of thy servants, of the God of thy father, and Joseph wept when he spake, when they spake unto him, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring it, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. You know what we find? We find Joseph embracing the righteous plan of a sovereign God. There were some hurts that Joseph experienced. There were injuries physically, emotionally, that he went through. But yet, when he's looking back at it, He can see, and he embraced the fact that God was righteous. God was good. And his plan was good. His plan's good. You know, it's amazing. The people that are keyed in right now are people that have faced some very real burdens. And you see, you can just see it. You can see it in their face embracing it can't be that we just say we trust the lord it doesn't work does it it doesn't work but when we trust the lord it makes the difference it makes all the difference in the world and joseph got to the end of his life And now he had the power, he had the ability, he could have destroyed his brothers. And we would have all said, serves them right. But that's not what he did. He recognized God had a plan that he was working. He was weaving a plan in and through Joseph's life that was going to not just save Joseph's family, but save the seed that the lineage of Christ was going to come through. You see, that was, it was so much bigger than just what Joseph's life was. Our life may not end with our life. The problems that we face and the burdens that we experience, they may, they may have a plan, they may be a part of the sovereign plan of God that He is going to use in generations to come. Now, I hope that's not the case. I hope He comes tomorrow, or I hope He comes today. 
But if he withholds his coming, do we trust that he still has a plan? Don't run. It's not time to run. It's not time to quit. It's not time to give up. I was walking through the auditorium this morning and just praying and thinking about who was going to be here and thinking about the people that I was not anticipating seeing today. And there are some that have run. The battle came and they've run. It's not time to run. We've got too big of a job to do. You know what? We need, we need them back. We need them back. But we can't go anywhere either. You know, these, these kids, they need some moms and dads to be faithful. You know, there's coming a sermon, if it hasn't happened already, we're going to think, man, who's he think he is telling me that? Or somebody's going to not shake your hand. They're going to get offended. And it can happen to all of us. Don't, don't allow circumstances and problems and arrows, the fiery darts, don't allow them to cause us to run. David here in verse number 1, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? He said, why are you telling me to run? He said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here because I trust the Lord. And you and I, we've got to have that assurance in our own heart. We've got to have that determination that we're not running from the burdens come. They're coming. Some of you are in them right now. Others are, can see the cloud rolling up. But the reality is, Let's just trust God. Let's just trust Him. It's not time to run. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Uh, Lord, we need to be faithful, and the burdens and the, the problems come in life. The battles are here. And Lord, as we look at uh, just the New Testament church, and, and Lord, how the persecution came, and the responses of your people, they went everywhere, uh, spreading the gospel. And, and Lord, we, we need to have that kind of, uh, of response. We've got to have that kind of determination that no matter what the pressure is that comes, uh, that Lord, we're just going to trust you to take care of us and, and help us, Lord, to have faith. Uh, in you and help us to trust you. Now give us the strength that we need to be able to endure the battles and the struggles and the trials that we face and help us, Lord, to stay true to you. So bless now uh, each person, each heart. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Let's Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's BBC, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.